good morning, ZPC. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of think that every Saturday night we should set our clocks back one hour. Um, I'm not sure if that would work or not, but uh, it certainly feels nice to uh, have an extra hour of sleep or to at least um, um, have an extra hour to do something, watch the football game. Can I help you here, Don? Yeah, I'm here for you. Thanks. Um, now, I'm not preaching today uh, on the election. I considered it, um, but as I continued to think about it, I realized that in many ways we've been talking about it from time to time. In fact, I've explicitly mentioned it from time to time, but there are three things. This, by the way, is uh, in the Pentecostal world what we would call the sermon before the sermon. Um, there are three things um, that I want us to remember. Three things that we've been talking about over the last three months. First and foremost, that God is the creator, that God is the Lord, and that God is in charge. And so no matter where we are uh, in this moment, uh, when you feel your anxiety rising, here's what I want you to know. That is usually a symptom that you have forgotten that you are not God. And so I want you to remember that no matter what happens this Tuesday or Wednesday or next month or next year or 10 years from now, that God is in control. Secondly, I want to remind you that first and foremost, all of our identities, before we are Americans or Russians or Germans, before we are Democrats or Republicans or Libertarians, before we are any of those things, first and foremost, our identity is found in Jesus Christ and in being loved children of God. Never forget that. Finally, as we said last week, the reminder that we are called to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, to the ends of the earth, and perhaps, as we said last Sunday, most significantly, in Samaria, which means even with those, or perhaps especially with those with whom you disagree, with those you may not even like, right? I hate to tell you this, but more than likely, you are sitting next to someone you would consider to be a Samaritan. And they are looking like you in the same way. A reminder that we have a great opportunity in this time. The church as the Lord's body has a great opportunity to lead in this way. By not being hopeless. By being a people of peace and a people of grace. That is whom we have been called to be before anything else. And finally, pray. Pray Pray, pray. We always need prayer, but in moments like this is when we oftentimes realize it. And so my hope and my prayer is that you all will join me in praying all of this week, especially on Tuesday, especially on Wednesday even, that the Lord might be with us in the midst of all of this. Amen? Now for the actual sermon. And it comes to us today from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. It says this, As he, being Jesus, taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance 
say long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. And many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we do come to you on this morning, feeling perhaps a bit vulnerable, a bit insecure even. And so I pray that your spirit would be upon us, that it would strengthen us, that it would comfort us, that it would remind us that our hope is in you. I pray as well, Lord, that you would be with all of us this morning, that you would open up our ears and our hearts and our minds to what you would have to say to us. I pray in all humility, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we're going to talk about the idea of stewardship, which I know excites everyone. And typically, I would say probably almost every single time that I ever talk about the issue of stewardship or money, I begin with about 20 to 30 disclaimers and apologies. And I usually begin by saying, you know what, I know this is a really awkward conversation to have. And I know that there are people here who think that the only thing we care about is money. And I know that there are people out there who think, oh, this is a classic pastor trying to get more of our hard-earned cash from us. And that it's a little strange because in some ways what I'm doing is I'm standing up here and saying, please pay me. And, and it gets very kind of weird, you know. And, and then usually, you know, towards the end of all those disclaimers, I'll say, but you know. You know, I mean, it's not just that I'm talking about this for no reason. You know, right, that the scriptures talk about money over 800 times. And you know, right, that Jesus spoke about money more than any other subject other than the kingdom of God. And if I talk about the kingdom of God a lot, I should at least mention money from time to time. And I will say all of those things. And then almost without fail, after the service, I will hear from somebody who heard from from somebody else, that they knew that the only thing we wanted was money. That no matter what I try to do, no matter how many disclaimers or apologies I make, no matter how transparent I try to be about how uncomfortable this may be, about, no matter how much I say again and again, we're not just about money here, no matter how many times I do that, people walk in here with their own preconceived notions. Some of them are valid from experiences of the past. Some of them perhaps are invalid. And that no matter what, when we're all said and done, you still walk out, many, with the same thought that you came in. And so for for that reason, I said, forget it. No disclaimers. No apologies. I'm coming out guns blazing. That's what I was thinking today. And so I picked this text in Mark, Mark 12. This is a classic stewardship scripture passage. It doesn't get any better than the widow's might for making you feel really guilty. 
Here is this woman, right, this poor widow woman, and she comes with two small copper coins, and she gives everything that she has. Meanwhile, all of these fancy pants have already been there, and they've been giving 10, 20, 30 times what it is that she had. However, they own 100 or 200 or 300 times worth of money or possessions as she has. And then Jesus says, look at this wonderful woman and what she has done. You should feel bad about yourselves. It's great. And it's probably a sermon I will preach next fall. But there was something that happened this week as I was beginning to think about that and excited about putting you in your place, which is this. It's something that was pointed out to me in verse 40. It's a verse I wasn't even going to include, quite frankly. I was just going to stick to 41 through 44. That's the crux of the passage, it seemed to me. Except for the fact that in verse 40, Jesus says to them, before he says anything about the widow, he says to them that the scribes, who were the religious leaders, that they were devouring widows' houses and for the sake of appearance, saying long prayers. Now, we don't know exactly what they were doing to devour widows' houses, but I don't think it's actually all that significant. What is significant is when you look at what it said about the widow, and you see that actually Jesus has already been talking about the widow just a few minutes beforehand, and that there may be some connection between the two. In other words... Jesus is not just talking about the generosity of this lovely woman. He is also pointing out how the religious leaders and the communities of faith have clearly lost their way. And how they have stopped, it seems, caring about the people to whom they have been called by God to care about. In other words... They have become so focused on the institution that they have forgotten what the mission of that institution was. This is not just a sermon or a scripture passage about the importance of giving each of us. It is also first and foremost a sermon about asking those of us who are religious leaders whether or not we are being good stewards of the money that we are receiving. To bring it home, perhaps, it is saying, what are, how are we doing as pastors and elders of this church of making sure that we are always focused on the mission and are not just concerned with our own well-being. And quite frankly, that can be difficult to do at times. One commentator pointed out it's important to realize that the scribes here were not all just kind of stone-hearted people, that more than likely there were many, perhaps even most of these religious leaders who actually loved the institution. They loved the temple. They loved what we would say today, the church. And they loved it so much 
that sometimes they began to focus more on making sure that they could preserve that institution, that body of faith, than with actually doing the work that that body of faith was called to do. And it's remarkably easy to lose one's way, especially when your paycheck depends on it. It is easy, let me say this as a pastor, to begin to wonder more about whether or not we are going to make budget than it is to wonder whether or not we are doing the thing to which God has called us to do. Self-preservation easily gets us off track. So that when Jesus is sitting over in the corner and he is looking out over what is happening, he is not just looking at what's happening there with that widow, he's looking at everything. In fact, the whole 12th chapter of Mark, if you want to go back and look at it, is about how, as one commentator put it, the church or the temple had lost its theological moorings. It had lost its understanding of who it was. And so all week, the question that I have been asking is not necessarily the question of how are you doing as stewards of what God has given to you, but how are we doing? How are we as religious leaders doing in all of this? And there were a couple of things that came to my mind in terms of what it is exactly, how it is that we can make sure that we are about the mission and not about merely the institution. And I kept wondering what Jesus would be thinking if he sat over in the corner. And my guess is, in fact, I know that he would say we are not being perfect. And one of the things that we have begun to try to do more and more is to be as transparent as possible. I don't think we were hiding anything, but I think it's really critical for us to be as transparent as possible about how we are spending the money that we receive. It's why a month and a half or so ago, we had Todd Nelson and Linda Forler up here with the Jesus dollar that began to explain, this is where the money is going. It's why this past Wednesday night, we had a little open house for any church member who wanted, or non-church member, who wanted to come and be able to explain a little bit more about what was happening and to see if there were any questions. Quite frankly, there weren't that many people there, but it was important for us to have that conversation. And I want you to know, if you have any questions about how the money is being spent, I want you to talk to Linda Forler. She was really happy that I had her put that, had us put this up. But sometimes I say the word Linda Forler, who's the chair of our finance team, and maybe you don't know who she is. If you want to take a picture of this picture, you can go out into the gathering space and try to find her, okay? If there are any questions that you have, though, should we just leave this up the whole time? Or, no, let's take this down. That's all right, Stevie. Thank you. If there are any questions, right, because it's significant, there may be a widow in our midst who is saying, I am not being taken care of. It feels more like all you're asking is to take more and more of what I have, and I am not being loved. And we need the widows and others on the margins to be able to come and tell us that. Because at the end of the day, we do not want to reach the throne of God and have him say, while you were spending money on this or on that, there were widows and orphans and the addicted and the homeless and the poor in spirit and the poor in wealth who were standing outside your doors. 
So we have to be, as religious leaders, as pastors and elders, we have to be as transparent as possible because all of us help to make sure that we are about the mission and not the institution. But there's another way, it seems to me, as well, that we make sure that we are staying on mission. And one of those is to make sure that every decision we make is asking not just how are we strengthening the institution, not even primarily that, but instead, how are we furthering the mission? Is this going to further our mission? What I have discovered is that if you try to build the institution, you will always lose the mission. But if you are focused and giving to the mission, that the institution will usually be strengthened in some way. But I know that perhaps it is at times hard to know how we're doing in our mission. Saying what all of you are thinking. And so I began to think about these scripture passages. And one of the things that the scripture writers always are doing is telling us stories. And as I thought about that, I was reminded of some stories that have happened even just over the last two or three weeks. I was reminded of a, of a guy that I've met. Uh, his name is Matthew. He told me I could use his name. His name is Matthew. He went through the great banquet just a few weeks ago or so. And, and I've noticed him here on Sunday mornings afterwards. And man, if you meet Matthew, you will tell that there is something significant that happened in his life. I mean, the guy is glowing. He's like sitting around. He's like standing. No, he's not sitting around. He's jumping around. He's meeting people. There is an excitement as if something happened that weekend where he reflected the grace of Jesus or felt the grace of Jesus, and now he can't help but reflect it. I don't know what his story is. I don't know what he was like before, but I know that something is different, and he is excited. Last week he was working as a part of the parking lot team and you would have thought you had asked him to take on the greatest task ever. I mean he was basically moonwalking out there in the parking lot. He was so excited and as I think about that as I talked to him on the phone last night as you just see he said I have felt joy like I haven't felt in such a long time and it was this reminder to us that's right that's the mission. It's about the mission it's not about the institution. Or then I was thinking about the Jeremiah house. Now, we bring up the Jeremiah house with some regularity, but we don't. Most of us know any of their stories. And a part of that, I've shared this before, is because some of that's private stuff. But the Jeremiah house, if you don't know, is a house that, that, that ZPC owns. We've owned it for several years now. But a couple years or so ago, we decided to open up because we had a connection with Wheeler Mission, with those who have been suffering through addiction. And what was happening is that people were going through uh, the rehab program, but then they had nowhere to go afterwards. And so they were just kind of basically being thrown out into the world, if you will. And so we had a question, okay, do we want to open up a house that could kind of be a place, a great transition for some of these guys that have gone through this program? And one of those guys, I'm not going to use his name, but he's a remarkable, remarkable man. And at some point, I don't, I don't have to use his name because he's going to be up here, and he is going to preach to you through his testimony. It is a remarkable testimony. But I was, I was talking to him earlier this week, and we were talking about the Jeremiah house, and he was telling me a story. And he said, one of the things that happened is at the end of his time through the rehab program, he said, it's time for me to go out. And he, he didn't know. He met Fritz Breisch, who's a ZPCer, who's kind of spearheaded the Jeremiah house. And, and he said, I had a decision. You know, I had to go someplace. And I didn't know yet, he said, if the Jeremiah house was going to work out. So 
So I found a, a place at College and 27th, a little apartment that I could go to. And so I told my buddy, I said, well, you know, if this doesn't work out at the Jeremiah house, I'll go to this apartment at 27th and College. And his buddy said, no, 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 you can't do that, man. He said, there are drugs that are everywhere there. He says, there's a shooting, it seems like, almost every night there. If you go there, he said, you will be dead. And he looked to his friend and he said, I may not have any other choice. And when he said that, I thought to myself, thank God he had another choice. Thank God the Jeremiah house was open. Thank God this congregation two years ago said absolutely with an affirmation, not at the 9 o'clock, but at the 1030, of clapping of hands, of saying, yes, I mean, you guys applauded, but it's much more internal. I see it, right? I see your eyes fluttering, right? There is a sense, right, of the excitement of that. Thank God that the elders a decade or so ago said, and the congregation said, yeah, we want to buy this house. We don't know for sure what we're going to do with it, but let's get Get it. Thank God that there was an opportunity for him because now he's here. He's in a home group. The guy won't be quiet about the significance of his home group. Over VBS, he was sitting there and he was feeding the volunteers that were coming. This past week, he made sure to go over and meet the homeless who were here in our church because he spent years on the streets and he wanted to be able to meet them. I think he wanted to be a sense of hope to them. It's about the mission that we always have to be cognizant of, not the institution. Or even on Thursday night. Thursday nights, as I've said once or twice or maybe a thousand times, we play basketball. Does everybody know that? We play basketball on Thursday nights. Eight o'clock to ten in the gym. This week I was about 45 minutes late to it, so I showed up about 8.45 and I walked in and there was the usual suspects, but there were also two other kids, one who was 12 and one who was 14 by two other kids. I mean, they were the youngest by at least 20 years. And they weren't CPCers and they weren't any of our children. No, they were two kids who have been living here all week. They were two kids who were part of the homeless families that were here. And they were there and they were playing. And I, I saw them in there when I, when I went in. And I saw the guys kind of playing basketball with them. And I, I began to think, well, for these 45 minutes, if not for about an hour, which is how long they stayed, for this hour, all they had to do was be kids. All they had to do was not think about the situation that they were in, was not think about the situation that 12 and 14 year olds should never have to meet. For that hour, these kids were able to run back and forth on the court, were able to shoot the basketball, were able to play defense. Well, they didn't really play any defense, quite frankly, and they shot the ball a lot. It looked a little bit like my game, really. But for an hour, they were kids. And I don't want to make too much out of playing a game for an hour, but I refuse to make too little of what it means to be included in a time when there are probably far too many who are excluding them. I don't want to make too little of what it means that they were here for a week and that people were feeding them and listening to them and driving them to where they needed to go. That it's not about the institution, it is about the mission So the question then is, why aren't we all doing this? Why aren't all churches doing this? Why does ZPC at times struggle with doing this? Well, I feel like the answer is actually very simple. It's because of the fact that it always takes 
sacrifice. That the only way to be certain that you are about the mission and not about the institution is if you are willing to sacrifice something. Think about it. Everyone loves a weekend at Great Banquet. Everyone loves to be able to have a time to be able, yeah, we should totally share the grace and love of Jesus with people. Absolutely. But there's not that many people who want to come and spend 72 hours on on very uncomfortable cots with people you don't really know all that well confined to a church building. Everyone loves the idea. We should totally take care of people who are struggling with addiction. Absolutely. But it's a whole lot harder to want to raise your hand to be able to say, yeah, I'll mentor somebody for hours at a time who may easily relapse at some point. That'd be great. Everybody loves the idea of housing the homeless. Certainly, let's do that. But not everyone loves the idea, myself included, of waking up at 4 or 5 in the morning to come here in order to drive them where they need to go every morning of the week. It's simple. The the one way to make sure you are about the mission and not the institution is to make sure that you are sacrificing something. And if you are not, you can rest assured that you are looking much more scribe-like than you are God-like. I love standing up here every Sunday morning. Not every Sunday morning, but on the Sunday mornings when I do it. I love standing up here and saying to you all, we give nearly half a million dollars away to specific missions. I love that. But on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, I would love to have some of that money back. I'd love to use some of that money to have another staff member or two to to kind of lighten the load. I'd I'd love to have some of that money, quite frankly, to make some changes around here a bit more quickly. I'd, I'd love to have that money, if I can be so honest, to just ease some of the anxiety that I feel at times and others about the budget deficit. It would be nice. We don't need it all. Just enough to take care of all of that. There would still be probably at the end of the day a good ten or $15,000 for us to use towards other missions. But I know that the moment we stop sacrificing is the moment we have lost our focus. But of course, that's also true for us as individuals. The reality, of course, again, is that all of us love the idea of being about something bigger than ourselves. But what we struggle with is what it costs us. I love this quote by Eugene Peterson. It says, There is nothing about a life of sacrifice that appeals to our well-intentioned desire to make a difference in the wrongdoing in the world and make things better for our neighbors and ourselves. In other words, we love the idea of loving others and caring for others. We love that idea, but there is nothing that is appealing about sacrificing something for it. Amen? I know this is true in my own life. I'm going to share a story. I've gone back and forth on whether or not to share it. And Megan and I wrestle with whether or not I should share it. And I'm hoping that you know my heart and that you know that this is not some false attempt for me to try to make myself sound good to you. Hopefully over three years you know me enough. There will be some of you who will still walk away and say, no, 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 that guy is just trying to brag. And if that's the case, so be it. But I hope that you know my heart. Here's the story. It's very quick. Earlier this year, Megan started working part-time. She started doing some uh, kind of working like a sales 
sales job, if you will. And so at the beginning of that, before anything had happened, we said to one another, you know what? Whatever that first check is, we're going to give it, we're going to give it all away. We're going to give it, we're going to give 75% of it to ZPC. We're going to give 25% of it away to her best friend who's a mission worker in Portugal. We felt good about that. And I felt really good about it. Because in reality, usually when it comes to selling something, that first check, it's not actually that much. Right? So I felt okay about it. I said, okay, this is going to be great. And then she gets her first sale. It's the biggest one she's had yet. She probably will never have another one like it. And when, she saw, when I saw and knew what the check was going to be, I want you to know that the first thought in my mind was not, oh, this is going to further the mission of God. The first thing that came to my mind is, how do we get out of this? I mean, I, call, I called my sister, I called my best friend, and I said, I said, you know, is there any way, I mean, is there any way, I thought maybe this is like Abraham and Isaac, and because he was willing to sacrifice him, he said, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't you think? But I never got that message. And so we got the check, and we signed it, and we bid it a fond farewell. And I would be lying to you to tell you that there haven't been times since then that I haven't looked over things and said, man, I would love to have this. And if we hadn't spent that or given that, we could have had that. But then I also want you to know that when I see those kids playing basketball with our people, when I see the story or hear the story about a guy who had a choice who didn't have to live at 27th in college, when I see the face of someone like Matthew and his joy, I realize I can wait for some of those things. And that sacrifice is always going to be necessary if we are going to ensure that we are not simply about preserving ourselves as people or as institutions. The Wheeler House, our brother from the Jeremiah House told me, our Wheeler Mission has this quote. It's somewhat, you've probably heard it. It says they're trying to move folks from loving things and using people to loving people and using things seems to me that's a pretty remarkable stewardship line right there. We would love, as religious leaders, as pastors and elders, to think that we could give and pursue the mission without it costing us very much. Most of us, I think, as individuals, would love to think that we could be a part of the greater mission of this uh, that God has given us without it really costing us much, just doing it out of our abundance. But Jesus, Jesus looks around from the corner, it seems to me, and says, no, there's only a way. There's only one way. It's going to have to cost you something. It has to cost us something. It's silly, really, that we think that, uh, that there could be any other way when every month we gather around here in order to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. Again, as I say to you with some frequency, we don't just gather here because we're hungry. We gather here because we know that we need to be shaped and formed by the sacrifice of Jesus. Not so that we can then avoid sacrifice, 
but so that we can then ask, Lord, how would you call us to live? It's for that reason, sisters and brothers, that we gather around this table. And we're reminded that the invitation to this table is not a right conferred upon the worthy, but is a privilege given to the undeserving, to all who come to this table with faith and repentance and love. They can come to this table and be assured of God's grace and love in Jesus the Christ. This is the Lord's table. And the Savior invites all of those who trust in him to come to eat and to drink. Let us pray. God, we know that you have called us to a life which reflects you. And we give you praise, Lord, that in so doing, we not only are able to hear it, but we're able to touch it and to taste it, to see it in the bread and the cup. And so I pray, God, that your spirit would come over this bread and this cup, that they would be for us a reminder and a living into what it means that you were broken out of love for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.